There was this moment in Jesus' ministry. He was doing all kinds of things, and people were talking about, uh, well, who is Jesus? He's doing miracles, and he's healing people, and he's preaching, and, and there's all this buzz around him, and everybody's talking about who he is and what are we supposed to expect, and he has this conversation with his disciples, and they say, people are saying that you're a prophet. Maybe you're one of the prophets kind of come back from uh, back in our history, our ancestors, and then Jesus turns to them and says, well, who do you say that I am? And uh, Peter, Simon Peter, one of his closest disciples, responds back to him, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says that he's right. And then he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. A couple of important terms there. When Jesus talks about his church, that I will build my church upon this, it's just a word that means a gathering. That those who gather in my name, uh, that'll be my church and I'm going to build my church, my gathering, those people upon that statement, upon that, that, that Jesus is the Christ. And then he says, the gates of hell will not prevail. And what I love about that is if you think about the, the concept of gates, gates are defensive. So if you have something you want to protect, you put gates around it. If you have a property or a house or whatever it might be, you might put gates around it so that people can't come in. And Jesus says that I'm going to build my gathering of people and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, which means my my people are going to be the kind of people we gather together and we're going to storm the gates of hell and they're not going to prevail against us. We are going to go into the worst of the worst of evil and death and we are going to defeat it together. It's an extraordinary statement. I believe, and I am of course biased, but I believe that the church, the gathering, the followers of Jesus, people coming together in Jesus' name to follow Jesus, to live like he lived, how he taught us, to follow him uh, in all that he taught us to do, and all that he exemplified for us, has the power to transform lives, has the power to transform individual lives, and has the power to transform communities and even the world. And it is a great privilege to be part of what God is doing through the gathering of people in Jesus' name. And here at Westside, we have some very exciting things going on, and God has been doing some incredible things that today I want to talk to you about and some opportunities I want to talk to you about, because all around us, as we gather to follow Jesus and to learn what that looks like and to encourage each other and equip each other to follow Jesus, God is doing incredible things all around us. We have at the end of this month a baptism service coming up, and baptism is such a, a crucial and important time in people's lives. It's a moment when they get up uh, in front of the community and they let people know uh, and share a bit of their story, but let people know that they are a follower of Jesus, that that milestone is something that's happened in their life and now they want to follow Jesus. And I just want to let you know, we've got some people who are going to do that at the end of the month. If you're interested in that, maybe even thinking about it and praying about it, uh, if you're in the room today, even you can take the orange card in the chair in front of you, take it out. Uh, fill it out. There's a box on the back you can tick off that you're interested in baptism and we'd love to follow up with you. Uh, and, and even if you're ready to help make you part of that service at the end of this month uh, to proclaim that you are a follower of Jesus, that's a super powerful time. So go ahead and do that and we'll follow up and give you some steps uh, or just have a conversation with you if that's what you want. But that's extremely powerful as we come together uh, and people just make that declaration. Today is also a historic day in the life of Westside Church. Um, Westside Burlington is meeting today in Burlington at 5050 South Service Road. This is, yes, 
in Hamilton, Burlington. We are cheering for you right now here in the room. We are excited that you are with us, our church family there in Burlington. God has been so faithful to bring us to this point and to work through a whole group of people and uh, for us together as one church family uh, to, to this moment. And we're so excited they're having their first service. And uh, we know we're working out a whole bunch of stuff. And over the next few weeks, uh, we're working on some of those things uh, towards the grand opening on December 3rd. Uh, but for those of you in Burlington, we're so excited for you and for us as a church family. Uh, so just know that we're cheering for you. We're praying for you. We continue to walk together as a church family. And uh, that is a historic thing. I think that God has done in and amongst us to have people come together who say, we really want to have this Jesus-centered uh, community where we come together to try and figure out and help encourage each other uh, towards living like Jesus and towards uh, blessing the people in Hamilton and also blessing the people in Burlington. And we believe, we really believe uh, that the gathering of Jesus is transformative and that this is a pivotal moment for so many people and many people that I think don't even, maybe they don't even know about the church yet, maybe they haven't even met Jesus yet, but in Burlington that will be impacted by the people that are gathering there and by what God is going to do in them and then through them. You just saw a video. Uh, Cliff and Arlene Martz were so gracious to us last year to allow us to partner with them and their foundation, Ryan's Raise. And um, one of the things that we did, as you saw in the video, is we raised some money to help uh, start up, uh, build this, this Ryan's Place, uh, which is for kids who have disabilities and kids who, um, many of them, their parents, their families just don't have the resources to care for them, their basic needs, as well as the needs that they have maybe with some of the disabilities uh, that they have in their life. And uh, last year, a whole bunch of you, and if you weren't here last year, just know there's a whole bunch of people here. We gave to a number of projects. That was one of the, you know, kind of the keystone last year. And um, what you gave last year financially is today making a difference in people's lives, that there are kids who are having their needs met today, that that place is now, just a year later, is now open and kids are getting care and they are being loved in, in, in making sure um, that holistically they're being cared for in every way by people who just care for them and there are families who are being lifted up in Guatemala, many are living in, in just kind of a, a deep poverty. And uh, today, uh, they have hope and they have something that they didn't have a year ago. So we want to thank you. Uh, Cliff and Arlene, thank you. They do incredible work uh, doing things like this uh, through Ryan's Rays. And we had the privilege of partnering with them. But I want to thank the entire church family who gave, all of you who gave to that project, uh, because what you gave financially has now already started to translate into lives being changed. Isn't that incredible? What we can invest using our finances and temporary resources can change people's lives forever. And that's happening. Today, I want to talk about some more opportunities that we have. And if you're new to Westside, this might be new to you. Uh, if you've been around for a while, you know this. As we come to the end of each year, it's uh, kind of a tradition that we have. We have a Christmas fundraiser, end of the year fundraiser. Uh, that Today, we're kicking off and we're working towards the end of the year. And today, I want to talk about three other projects because I believe as we gather in Jesus' name and as we allow God to inspire us and then we decide to practically follow him, we are given opportunities to make a difference and that God takes takes uh, those efforts and actually uh, transforms people's lives. And so every year, at the end of the year, we, we raise money above and beyond our operational costs, above and beyond what we all give normally to try and meet some of these needs. And here's the opportunity, and it sounds so simple, I think, and yet when we follow this principle, it translates into lives being changed. It's simply this. This is our opportunity today and all the time to use what we have to give someone else what they need. 
How do we use what we have and those of us who have enough and, and some, some uh, circumstances far more than that to use what we have to give someone else what they need? And that is part of uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We we're already singing about that this morning and talking about the generosity of Jesus, the one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be seized, something to be held on to that you wouldn't give up, that Jesus, who was equal with God, had that status, but instead he would give it up and he would become a servant and that he would become obedient to death, even death on a cross, that that's the nature of God. It's the giving, generous nature of God to give himself away, even his own life for the people that he loves to transform their lives. And so we have the opportunity then to take what we have and to use what we have to give it to someone else so that they can have what they need. This generosity is something that has been coursing through the veins of the church all the way right from the beginning. There's this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Corinthian letters, we have two of them in the New Testament, are letters that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the church in Corinth. So he was a church planter. He would go around, he would establish a group of people gathering in the name of Jesus, trying to live like Jesus and live out the kingdom values that Jesus had taught them. And he would plant them and he equipped them and then he would go on and do the next one. And then he would write back. And, and in this letter, um, He's writing to them about their generosity and about the opportunity that they have. And what was happening was all these churches uh, in different regions were, were being planted and were growing. At the end of the 40s, so this is, you know, a handful of years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, within a decade, there was a famine that swept through Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem was struggling just even to make ends meet. They didn't have enough food. And so one of the things Paul did is he went to the other churches that had been planted in, in different areas that were a little bit far off, and he would go to them and say, we need to make a collection. We need to get some resources going so that we can make sure that the people in Jerusalem have what they need to have. And so he went to all these churches, and he was spurring them on to generosity, saying, there's a need here, and you might have something that you could use to fulfill their need. And you would encourage them and spur them on to it. And so I want to just dive into before we talk about the projects that we think uh, are so important this year, is to talk about uh, a bit of that generosity that we might um, take from the DNA of the early church that thousands of years ago, this was something they grabbed onto as uh, followers of Jesus, as an essential practice to help each other and care for each other and be generous towards the needs, to say, hey, there's a need, like there's a need of people uh, with disabilities and families that don't have the resources to provide for it. Maybe we, even though uh, we're not geographically close, could send some of our resources down to a place like Guatemala to build a facility for them. Uh, this is part of, of the generosity that's in God's heart that is then given to us to steward. It's such a powerful thing that the assembly, the church of Jesus, would storm into the gates of hell and knock them down. The gates of, of, of need, the gates of not having enough, uh, the gates of, of death and sin and to bring goodness in the kingdom of God. So here's what Paul says, uh, trying to inspire the people in Corinth. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, now I want you to know, he's going to give them a couple of examples that I want us to share of generosity. He says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So he's writing to the church in Corinth, Macedonia. The church in Macedonia would have been a little bit north, not super, super far from the people of Corinth, but a slightly different region. They are being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor. And I want you to just, uh, those superlatives, the varies and the manys, notice it, because it's really intentional in the text here of what Paul is doing. So uh, here's the people who are being tested. They have many troubles, and they're very poor. 
And then he kind of flips it around. There's a contrast. But they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. So they have many troubles. They're very poor, but they have abundant joy, and it's overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it out of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift of the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give, to them, give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving, since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your enthusiasm, and your love for us. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. That's the opportunity. I want you to be excellent in giving. You're excellent in a bunch of stuff. You're excellent in how you speak. You're excellent in how much you know. You're excellent in how zealous or enthusiastic you are. You're even excellent in the love that we share between us. I want you now to excel in this gracious act of giving. So he gives them the example of this poor Macedonian church. Again, they've got many troubles. They're very poor, but they've got abundant joy and it's overflowing in this rich generosity. Here's what he says. The Macedonian church took an abundance of trouble and a lot of poverty and turned it into an abundance of joy and a lot of generosity. That is really, really powerful. In fact, he says, they begged us for the privilege We didn't go in and lay a guilt trip. Hey, can you give? There's this need in Jerusalem. And, you know, God really wants you to do this. And we lay it on thick and all this kind of stuff. We didn't beg them. They begged us. And, of course, this is a bit of a a play on words. They're supposed to, because he says they're poor. Who, when they're poor, begs to give stuff away? No, no, no. When you're experiencing poverty, what do you do? Well, you might be forced to beg people to give you what you need. But not the people in Macedonia. Even in their poverty, even in their lack, even in what they didn't have, they begged us not to receive, but they begged us that they could be part of giving, that they could be part of meeting a need. There's something inside of these people where they said, I got to be part of that. I got to be part of the solution here. It's deep within us. And even though they had an abundance of poverty, they had tons of challenges. They let it overflow in so much generosity. How do you get there? Because honestly, some of us, and when we think about being generous, we think about giving our money away. To be honest, it feels a bit like a burden. It feels like, oh, they're asking a lot from me, and I don't know. And, you know, we, don't, we got expenses, and we have goals financially, and we have things that we want to do with our money. And it feels a little bit like a burden. How is it that these people could give such an example that they would say, we're begging. We want to be the ones. Let us give it. Let us give it. Well, we go to the second example, which comes from um, verses 6 to 9, or really 8 and 9. And now Paul is going to talk about, I think, how they got it. Remember, he said one of the factors were that they, this church in Macedonia, they gave themselves to the Lord. They, they surrendered themselves to Jesus. That is, Jesus was really their Lord. That what Peter had said, that Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the one that God is working through to rescue and to save the world and to show us what real life looks like. They had surrendered themselves or gave themselves to the Lord. And then he says, and then also to us. And that's how God's love and generosity works. As we give ourselves to him, uh, inevitably, we end up giving ourselves to other people. And that's how we live that out in so many practical ways. So listen to what he says. Here's example number two in verse eight. Now he's back to the church in Corinth. He's saying, 
I'm not commanding you to do this. I'm asking you to get, by the way, it's kind of, I mean, Paul, he talked about Titus coming and asking them again. Paul had gone, like I said, he had planted the church and then he had gone away. And then what we see in the Corinthian letters is the Corinthian people, the church there, had gone totally off the rails. I mean, there was some crazy things that they were doing, some wild immorality, and Paul wrote back some pretty scathing things. Not like, hey, it's nice to hear from you. I hope you're all doing well, but you are messing this up. You are way off track. You've got to get back into it. And so Paul probably here, uh, after doing that, is probably like, oh, but let's go back. Remember when you promised to send some money? We still want you to do that, okay? I know we're, we're kind of at odds a little bit, but now he goes, I'm not commanding you to do this, right? So no guilt trip. No, you have to do this. No heavy-handedness. I'm not commanding you. But I do want to test how your genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. So remember last week, if you were here with us or you were following on online, we talked about how uh, Jesus taught that a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And the way that you kind of know what's on the inside is how it's overflowing onto the outside. Well, this is what now Paul is saying is I just want to test what's going on inside of you, that if you're a good tree or if you're a Jesus tree, we should expect to see characteristics of Jesus flowing out of you. And this is actually, I think, what he's saying, how it works in the Macedonian church. Why could they be so generous is because deep inside of them, they grasp the characteristics of God's generosity and the generosity of Jesus. Listen to this. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. That's the theology behind it. That's the DNA. This is what most people agree is talking about the incarnation of Jesus. What we talked about before from Philippians chapter 2. That though equality God, he didn't, he, though he had equality with God, he had that status. He did not um, consider equality with God something to be held onto, but instead something to be given away. That he, in the heavenly realm, would give all that up, become a human being, give his life away to the world to be crucified, obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that we who were poor, poor maybe materialistically, poor uh, emotionally, certainly poor spiritually, those who you needed, the grace of God poured into your life. He was willing to give everything so that you who are poor would be made rich. And that's our DNA as followers of Jesus. And that's some of the fruit that should be on the tree of, of Jesus' followers is that kind of generosity. That's how the Macedonian church said, even though we were poor, we could give it away. Why? Because God is the kind of God who even in his richness would give it all away to become poor so that for our sakes, those of us who are poor could become rich. That is the process of grace. That is giving, giving, giving. That's generosity poured out into our lives. And that's the only way we have what we have is all a gift of God. Everything is a gift of God. Every breath, every possession, Every meal, every family matter, it's all a gift. It's all a gift in God's economy. And he would become poor to make us rich in it. Our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sakes became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. It's the economy we live in if we're following Jesus. the economy we're, we're invited into. Now you might still say, okay, you want me to be generous though. It doesn't seem fair. It just seems, it still seems hard. Why should I give away what I have for someone else? Shouldn't they deal with their own problems? Shouldn't they kind of pull up themselves up by their bootstraps and figure it out? And after all, still, the objection, it doesn't seem real fair. I've got, I've got my own things to worry about. We've got our own things to, to deal with. To that, Paul says this, here's my advice. It'd be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. So you made this commitment 
Last year, you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. He goes, yes, we're doing great. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. So he doesn't even go back and say, hey, they gave out of their poverty. You have to give more than you have. He doesn't even say that. He just says, I want you to give out of what you have, what you've been given, what you've been provided for. Whatever you give is acceptable as long as you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. So for someone who goes, aren't we just giving everything to them? That doesn't seem fair. Are we always just going to prop somebody else up? And he says, no, actually, I want this to be fair. And here's how he says that works. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. And that refers back to uh, when the people were, of Israel were gathering manna after they'd been freed from Egypt and they didn't have enough. And God said, I'm going to provide for you. It'll be a gift for you. There'll be manna. You can go out. And each day, just gather enough for this day. Don't store it up. Uh, it'll just go bad. Just every day, you'll have enough. And trust that God will give you enough. And God always gave them enough. So here's the objection. Well, this isn't fair. Why should I give so much to somebody else's needs? And the response is, maybe it doesn't seem fair to you, but God is better than fair. That's grace. Everything's a gift. And today, you might be the ones who can help somebody else, but there might come a time where you need some help. And guess what? When we're all living in grace, there'll be other people who are going to show up for you. That's how God uses us. That if you're in a position to help, you can help. And someday you'll be in a position where you need some help and God's going to provide for you and there will be other people. This whole passage over and over and over. Go through it again and just see how much it talks about grace and the gift. Everything is a gift. Everything is grace. So what you've been given, you can give away. And this is the, kind of the third example. Um, we're all, this is just reality. We're all recipients of what others have given. You say, oh, I'm supposed to give to somebody else? Like, well, here's the thing. Here's the principle. All of us are recipients of what other people have given. So if you sit there and say, well, I've worked hard for everything that I have, and I've earned everything that I've had, uh, and, and, and now, oh, I'm the one that's got to give it away. Um, Paul's actually saying, no, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes you're the one to give, but you've all been the one that have received. You've all received from Jesus. You've all received the gracious gift from God. And there will be times where you all receive, even from each other, as you gather together, even as one family in different places, one church family, one people coming under God to each other. Do you know that that's true for all of us here at Westside Church specifically? I've told some of these stories before, um, but let me tell you one real quick, and again, apologize if you heard this already, but uh, a number of years ago, uh, this room, if you're in the room here in Hamilton, was filled with pews, and uh, nobody liked sitting on the pews. They were hard, they were uncomfortable, um, and there wasn't much we could do with this room. We wanted to be able to use this room for community events and, you know, things like our outreach on Halloween and all this kind of stuff. And uh, we decided we were going to put chairs in here. And at that time, uh, this room was not filled with people. It was filled with pews, but not people. It was a small group of people. And uh, we decided that the point was not to put in chairs. The point was... Um, this is a place for people to gather in Jesus, to introduce people to God's love, to help equip people to grow, uh, to express our generosity, the grace that God has poured into our lives in every way that we can. So we decided we were going to put chairs in. These chairs, by the way, are more expensive than you might think, but we had to raise some money. They're comfortable, right? But we had to raise some money for that. And um, 
What we said to each other is, what if it wasn't just about chairs, but it was about the people we want to sit in these chairs? And so the challenge that we all accepted back then was we want to buy uh, enough chairs for all of us. But again, the room wasn't very full. We said, but we want to buy enough chairs for us and then double that. And we want to start praying for people to fill those chairs. And so our challenge was, would you consider each person, if you can, uh, would you consider buying enough chairs, donating enough money for enough chairs for you, your family, and then double it? And then pray for the people who those who might fill those chairs one day. Pray for people who aren't here yet. Pray for people who need a community of faith. Pray for people who need to find grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. Pray for people who are going without right now that might find a group of people to care for them. So buy a chair for someone who's not here yet and then pray that God would fill that chair. So if you're sitting in a chair here this morning, just want you to know, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, somebody bought that chair and prayed for you, that you'd be here. And whatever it is that you've benefited from being part of this church community, you, your kids, your family, whatever it is that God has done in building you up through Westside, that, that there were people who played a part in that by buying your chair and praying for you when they didn't even know who you were, that you're a beneficiary of somebody else's generosity. Isn't that cool? You're an answer to prayer. I think that's amazing. All of us are here and all of us benefit part of this church community because in ways like that, other people have gone before us and sacrificed for us. So now we have an opportunity to use what we have to give to someone else what they need. Three projects that I want us to fund between now and the end of the year. As of today, our Christmas fund is open. You can give to it uh, by any way you would normally give. We have a giving station out in the lobby. And uh, if you want to give to this fund, you just designate right on the sheet, um, the little slip, Christmas online. Use the giving type Christmas. And uh, we're going to raise money between now and the end of the year for these three projects. Number one, uh, there's a problem in our city and in our culture with uh, increased cost of living. I don't know if you noticed that. Inflation's a big deal. There are many people, maybe historically uh, record levels of people who are dealing with food insecurity and homelessness. Um, the, the food banks in our city are seeing demand beyond what they've ever seen before. And we've been talking to our friends. We will, and by the way, we're going to build on details throughout the next six, seven weeks and give you more and more information. But we've been talking to our friends at HATS, uh, which is the Hamilton Association of Tiny Shelters, as well as Gore Park Outreach. And we've been asking, what are the needs right now that you're seeing in our city? And one of the things that they've told us is one of the biggest needs is that there are people uh, who need something to eat and they need to stay warm. Uh, winter's coming and we've already started to feel those winter temperatures. There are people who are experiencing homelessness or who are struggling just to stay out of that category. And uh, so what we want to do is we want to um, raise $20,000 to give to hundreds of people, and we're going to create some winter care kits that have things to keep them warm, uh, something to help get them food, um, and just some essentials to get through what's a tough season in Canada for all of us, but especially if you're in that. We want to bless hundreds of people with these kind of kits and help distribute them uh, with the work that Gore Park Outreach is doing and Hats is putting together these comprehensive kits that we're going to join with them. We are also, parents, you're going to hear about this from your kids, we are also asking that our kids, we want to Involve Westside Kids specifically uh, would um, bring in a um, thousand pairs of socks. 
So we have like 80-something kids most weeks on average up here. Uh, so it's a dozen pairs of socks per kid on average to get us to 1,000. Uh, so maybe that's a way that you can help include your kids. Go out, go to Costco, go to Walmart, wherever you are shopping, uh, and get a, get a dozen packs of socks per kid and bring them in. You'll hear more about that through your kids. But we just know that there are so many people who are struggling, and we have the opportunity to use what we have to give other people what, what they need. Another huge need that has been in um, the church across the world in the last few years, especially as we've come through uh, a pandemic, and there's been a lot of, just a lot of struggle, and we all know that, in every area of life, and people figuring it out. In the church world, we've seen huge disruption in church patterns. We've seen people who've been shaken loose from their, um, from their faith community, uh, people who don't know where to go. There has been a mix right now, interestingly, of um, a real distrust for churches, and yet also a spiritual hunger that we are seeing. Whereas a number of years ago in surveys, uh, especially in North America, it's very common to see people talked about the rise of the nuns, which was people on a survey say, what's your religious affiliation? They would say none. And now we're seeing actually a rise in people who are spiritually hungry, but they may not know where they're going to go. This has been across the world uh, because church, you know, when you couldn't go to church physically or, you know, this disruption made you think about what's important about your faith and your community and what it should be and what it shouldn't be. We've had a disruption in our BIC family uh, and we've got this incredible opportunity. Again, today, our brothers and sisters sisters, Westside Burlington has launched and we're going towards our, our grand opening. And uh, I believe, like I said at the beginning, that the local church has the power through God's spirit and his grace to transform people's lives and entire communities. I believe with all my heart that we need to have a Jesus-centered church like this in Burlington. And we've got people who are passionate, people who are meeting even this morning, passionate about sharing God's love, about making sure that there's an abundance of God's forgiveness and grace and mercy. And all the things that we hope a church will do, including all those spiritual things and all the things about a group of people that can, can help people in their needs, again, holistically, spiritually and emotionally and physically, that we want to have a community that is like that in Burlington. And we've got people who are doing it, but we need uh, to, to launch that. We need some funds to do that. We want to uh, give $50,000 to what's happening there. Even tomorrow, construction starts in that space. There's a need for um, some walls to go up and some paint and drywall, all the rest of it. Uh, there's need for some equipment still, some technology, uh, microphones and screens and all the things that, that need to happen for this group. Uh, some kids stuff, materials, all the things that we maybe take for granted at our church. But we want to bless uh, Westside Burlington. This expression of who we are to make sure that there is a thriving gathering, church, ecclesia of Jesus that will storm the gates of hell in Burlington and bring the love and generosity and beauty of God there. And then here in Burlington, we've got needs here too. And uh, this last week, uh, I don't know if you, we got some rain here. We got some pretty heavy rain. I'm not sure if you've noticed this. I really was kind of hoping it would rain this morning because when it rains outside, uh, it rains inside here over our lobby specifically. And I was reminded the last couple of weeks, even at Halloween, we, had, we opened this place up and again, just took all the chairs out. We put tons of games and candy in here. And it was a time where people on Halloween, they're walking by anyways in our neighborhood. They live all around us. And we used this as a time to invite people in. Hundreds of people came in on Halloween. And we were able just to show them, hey, we're a, we're a light, safe, welcoming, loving place. And then to invite them back, invite them to some of our Christmas stuff. We had cards to give them away. Say, this is a, a you know, if you want to find a, a place of love, a people of love, we hope that you would trust us to be that kind of people. We're not perfect, but that's what we're striving for in Jesus' name. And this building is a tool for us. 
And uh, whether that's our kids in the back, whether it's even the gym where we can have fun with our, our, our youth group or run events or our auditorium, this building we are stewards of because it's a tool for everything that we do. So we need to fix that roof and we want to allot 30000 for that. This is what that means. The price tag for this year's uh, Christmas fund is $100,000. It's a lot of money. It's more than we've ever tried to raise at Christmas before. But it's because we believe that God has put these projects and opportunities in our hand that we might be able to give what we have to help give other people what they need. And so I'm going to ask you to pray and think and talk about how God might be putting it on your heart to give to this. Realistically, it's going to take all of us in Hamilton and Burlington uh, asking, um, how do we live out that generosity of him who was rich, became poor for our sake so that in our poverty, we could be made rich, given everything. Now, how do we pay that forward? And then again, when you're ready between now and the end of the year uh, to give and just to designate that to Christmas, wherever it is that you give, online through the giving type or in person, uh, just writing on the, the giving slip, Christmas, and you can do that. Um, I was just thinking about that number. And again, we've been, as leadership, praying about that. And it really is based on the needs that we see of these projects. And we think we can make a huge impact in these areas in our city and in Burlington and here in Hamilton. And uh, I was this week reading some of the history of our church, as one does, I'm sure. I went into the files and I was looking through just some of the West Side, you know, way back stuff. And I came upon a file that was created for this building when they bought this land and it was from 1963. And I started leafing through it. And what happened is uh, Westside started over on Charlton Avenue. And then they met uh, on Dundurnan Main Street. Um, there's a payday lender there now, which is very sad. But then a group of people bought this plot of land. And I saw these files. And they had done uh, all the surveys and the plans. And they were figuring out with the city how to do the, you know, the, the plumbing for the sewer and how electrical would come in. And they had all these meeting notes and everything like that. And this is 1963. So it was 60 years ago. And and, um, and then I read um, they, had, they had bought the thing and they needed to raise money to build this building that we are now in if you're in Hamilton today. And uh, the price tag for it was going to be just under $100,000. I did a little bit of math on inflation and found out um, that maybe that's like a million dollars today. Now, I don't know if you could build a building like this for a million dollars in today's economy, but let's just ballpark it at a million dollars, which means there was once upon a time someone who stood up in front of a bunch of people and said, we believe this is what God has called us to, and it's going to cost us a million dollars, but we believe that there needs to be a church, a gathering, an ecclesia in the west end of Hamilton for God to do what God is going to do and to bless the city and to bless the people around it. And I actually know some people who are around, over the years I have known some people who are around and part of this church in those years in the 1960s and do it. And I've heard stories in the past of how they pulled that off. There were people who mortgaged their own properties and their houses to give towards this. They went all in for this to believe that this is what God was calling them to do. They took out a mortgage, they paid it off, and as a church together, they had a party where they burned the mortgage stuff. I think you're supposed to hold on to those documents, but I think they burned it, and they had a party, and they celebrated that God built this place, and that God would do ministry here, and, and he would fill it up. I just tell you that so that you know that all of us are standing on the shoulders of people who have come before us, people who believe that it was worth it to give generously to give what they had to provide for what other people needed. And along the way, it's happened over and over and over. 
You know, our kids' wing, if you bring your kids into that kids' wing, you need to know that there were people, that was built when we had like three kids here, honestly. And there was a group of people who believed that God wanted us to minister to family and to kids and to grow them up in the faith in significant ways. And some people said, but there's no kids here. And we said, well, maybe they need a kid's wing. We had contractors and construction people that donated of themselves and of their work and of their time. We had people who gave money when there was no kids here, believing that God wanted us to help equip families to raise their kids in the faith. We all stand on the shoulders of people who came before us to give generously, to give us what we have. The legacy that they left, we are now benefiting from. And one day we will look back at the opportunities that we were given to steward. And the way that we respond to those needs will be the legacy that we leave in Hamilton and in Burlington, in our city. So Heavenly Father, we pray that the generosity that is your character would transcend deep within our hearts and our minds and our lives. That as we meditate on Jesus, the one who, though he was rich, became poor for our sakes, so that we in our poverty could be made rich, that we too would take that DNA of who you are and express it to uh, our city, to the opportunities that we have in Burlington and in Hamilton. And we pray that you would take the temporal gifts that we have been given, that our finances might go to making eternal differences as you build your kingdom in Hamilton and Burlington and beyond. In Jesus' name.